My name is Emma. I own the Daisy Chain and run music and movement programs for aged care and disability facilities. I'm going to share how to find fun, purpose and connection in that stage of life that others think is boring, dull and pointless. If you would like to know how we shine a light on the fun, vibrant, full lifestyles of the aged care residents and disability clients, stay with me as I share the stories of human connection. That's one of the things that I always sit down and say when it comes to fitness or when it comes to anything to do with like disability is that it's not so much about achieving like massive milestones because that's not always going to be possible, but it's about just knowing who you can trust and who you with. Okay, today I am with Mel Harrison from Sitting Low, Reaching High. Hi, Mel. Hi, how are you going? Good, thanks. How are you? Not too bad. Thank you for joining me. I'm very excited. We've been giggling already and snorting. <laughs> so, so, so goodness knows. Goodness knows where this is going to go. If you would like to just introduce yourself, um, that would be a great start. Excellent. So I'm Mel Harrison and um, as um, Emma said, I'm from Sitting Low, Reaching High, but uh, more importantly, I guess I'm a person that uses a wheelchair and I'm 39 years old and um, I guess for the last 25 years of being um, using a wheelchair, like life's been pretty different for me where I've learned how to do things in a, a different way and... Um, I spent the last 20 years educating towards, like, you know, helping people understand what disability is all about and the rights of disability, etc. And in terms of sitting low, reaching high, it's around, like, the whole aspect of fitness and travel and recreation when having a disability because that can be quite different for people that don't have a disability. So um, doing that in terms of, like, talks but also, like, vlogging, and um, educating people in different ways on how to do that. Fabulous. So we met at a disability expo, um, not last year because last year was crazy, crazy year, the year before, I think, um, where you were the uh, MC and keynote speaker um, and also the cheer squad for my dance classes, my Zumba yeah. classes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we spoke a little earlier about how you got into uh, speaking and presenting. Can you give me a bit of a background on how that happened? Yeah, so like, like I have worked in the disability area, I guess, for the last 20 years, but in the last um, three to five years, I've actually wanted to focus more about um, how I perceive the world and how I see the world when it comes to disability. So that's the reason why I decided to um, open up my own business and talk about that in itself because I think sometimes the way that we see the world can be a little bit different yep. to the way an organisation might see the world, for example. And um, I feel like I'm very much that person that is, you know, like a lot of people out there don't understand what it is about disability or what it is about aged care and how to actually respond to people or communicate with people and... Um, I kind of understand that because up until I was like 14 before I ended up in a wheelchair, you know, I didn't know what it was like to have a disability um, in itself. So um, 
understanding that actually helps. Yeah. And most people I'd like to think aren't actually ignorant when it comes to communicating with people with disability. It's just that they feel awkward about how they yeah. can communicate. And I guess one of the things that I would like to do more than anything is educate people that, you know, like start like talking to people with disability same way as you talk to somebody else yeah. regardless of their communication needs because at the end of the day when we move their disability they're still that person yeah to yeah I, I definitely come up against that a little bit working in aged care yeah. um people say to me i don't know you know how do you how do you talk to them and yeah. i said well i talk to them in inverted commas exactly the same as i'm talking to you yeah. um i you know i tease them and we have a giggle and yeah. i don't i don't wrap everything in cotton wool and and yeah. sometimes i probably say things i shouldn't say but then i do that with everyone so and that's exactly <laughs> yeah. the reality of it is that you know, like when we get to that point where we're stopping ourselves from communicating because we think it's inappropriate just because it's a person with disability. Yeah. And we actually are treating that person differently. So it's like, well, possibly we shouldn't be actually saying that because it's inappropriate, but it's inappropriate for everybody, not just because it's Absolutely. a person with disability. Yeah. So that's the part that we need to, like, get to. And that whole the whole thing around that whole PC side of things and that political correctness of the way that we communicate with people, like that's great because that actually um, protects people. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like that prevents people from being able to communicate with people. Bit of a double-edged sword. Yeah. Yeah. So earlier on, before we started recording, we were talking about um, obviously educating but working with children and how children, you know, I guess to change people's perceptions maybe we need to start with kids um because it's probably not easier but i guess easier than than trying to change the perceptions of adults you were telling me a story about going into a a child care facility yeah could you share that yeah that would be good so i guess one of the things that i actually was that was one of my most um memorable experiences was a couple years ago when i went to a um a childcare, like a child um, day program that one of my really good friends runs um, out in Western Sydney. And she asked me to go to there because she was looking after like up to 40 children that were between the ages of four and six years old. And um, one of them had autism and another one had a neurological disability, which meant that they would fall at certain periods of time which scared some of the other children that were there. So she was asking me to go there because she thought if I spoke to them, then they might actually be okay with disability a little bit easier. So I went there and we're there for an hour and right at the beginning, the first probably like, you know, up to a minute or so, no one wanted to talk to me because they were like, you know, overwhelmed by the fact that there was somebody in a wheelchair that they hadn't seen before. After that minute, they kind of got over that. It's pretty quick. And then, you know, they're all, like, kind of chatty and friendly and all the rest of it. And I remember throughout it, like, my mate actually said, so so um, would any of you go over to Mel and start touching her wheelchair or moving her? And one of the boys actually said, well, no, because that's her legs. He was only four years old. He got the fact that that was actually an extension to my body don't move Mel unless you've got her permission. 
and I've had many, many, many times where adults just don't get it. And I was like, wow, this kid just got it. And so did all the other kids. And then, so we had these other continuous conversations and eventually they would all come up and they were touching my wheelchair, et cetera. But they'll only doing it once they actually knew I was okay with it, which was really, really cute. And then right at the end of the actual whole presentation, my friend actually said to all the kids, and there was like, you know, all of them sitting down on the ground and they're all looking at me. And she's like, so is Melanie different to you and I? And everyone went silent. And they went silent for like, you know, a good 30 seconds. (laughs) And then one of the kids actually said, yes. And so I was bracing for the reaction. So was my friends. I was like, oh, my God, like, what is this kid actually going to say? And he ended up turning around going, yeah, because she's wearing stockings. So I had these stockings on that were like the Dangerfield stockings that were like weird and wonderful and yeah. all the rest of it. And he, he had more of an issue about the fact that I looked like somebody that, you know, was from Newtown. <laughs> and, um, you know, like, shouldn't have been in Bankstown. And so he, he was like, oh, wow, like, well, yeah, you don't actually belong here yeah. because of the stockings you're wearing. And I was just like, and I had tears going down my face because I was yeah. kind of like, okay, my stockings are the issue. They cost me $9. <laughs> I can change that. The fact that my wheelchair that I'm sitting on, that cost me $6,000, I can't change that. Yeah. He was okay with that. Yeah, that's and amazing. It really just like went to show that yeah. kids actually accept a lot more and they actually take on a lot more and they're okay yeah. a lot more than adults are. And that's the thing that I've always sat there and said that one of the things that we really should be doing is educating children. Yep. Like more and more and more because children are so much more accepting yep. and they will just learn to adapt etc and they'll learn to be okay with difference etc adults are harder to yeah change. absolutely you know like so i've always like believed that like trying to teach the children is so much more important than yeah. trying to teach teach the adults etc and it's not just for disability it's for aged care oh like, absolutely aged like aged care is like amazing like you know people don't realize like you know we've got people that are in aged care and how much they're our life and how much they actually like make us who we are Absolutely. and how much they've got stories and yep. how much they can actually educate us about stuff but like just that whole thing like you see like those videos of like you know children and people with disability and elderly all together and how they just all form yeah how they all yeah. yeah i just think that like you know people just need to you know that whole education and i think Often it's that age bracket between like 30 and 50 that stops us, you know, before and after helps us. It's almost like, well, like we do need to educate, but it's almost like we need to uneducate that middle bracket yeah. and re-educate because, as you said, with kids, they actually aren't judging. Yeah. They're just taking you on face value like you're a cool yeah. person you know, you have to be in a wheelchair. That's, yeah. you know, like you said, it's they're your legs, which is pretty profound for a four-year-old to be saying. Mm. Um, and, it, yeah, as you said, it's the same in aged care. One of my frustrations uh, when I go into aged care facilities is when staff members who are busy and they're flustered and they've got a lot to do and they've got to care for a lot of people, but yeah. I've seen it where 
the staff members have moved a resident without saying first, hey, Mary, um, the doctor's here to see you. I'm going to take you down to see the doctor. They might just grab the wheelchair and move them. Um, And I'll always acknowledge it and say, hey, Mary, where are you going? And Mary will go, oh, I don't know. And I'll say, oh, didn't didn't the nice lady tell you? And kind of very nicely call them out on it and make them realise that they've actually started to move them without acknowledging the person. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, that's that's in aged care. Yeah, Um, and that's that's in aged care and it's also in disability. Yeah. Like that happens all the time. It's just actually quite quite sad and, as you mentioned, it's not necessarily a fact of the workers doing the wrong thing. It's because the resources, that they don't have enough resources to be able to actually... um, um, manage that but at the same time that we're dealing with people and you know we're dealing with people with their lives and particularly if they've got limited ability to be able to move you know they've already got limitations in what they can do and if you're doing that on top of that that actually yes even more. disempowering yeah so here's a question that you can answer or not answer <laughs> if i think sometimes uh people feel like they're helping and their intentions might be good, mm-hmm. but they come across the wrong way. How do how does someone that doesn't have that education and that knowledge, like what's your advice to people that think they're trying to help? So I guess the quickest or the easiest way that I can um, answer that or explain that is that if you ever want to help with help somebody, the best thing you can do is ask them. Yep. what kind of help that they need. So yep. it'd be like, you know, if I'm about to come into the door, Emma, like you might actually see me tr- struggling to come through the door and you might come over to me and ask me if I need a hand. And then if I say yes, then the best thing you can do is ask how, you know, and not make that assumption that you know what kind of help that I need because I might just need someone to open the door or I might need someone to help me actually go through the door like in my chair, but you're not going to know unless I actually tell you. But I guess the thing to always be wary of as well is that if you ask me if I need help because I look like I'm struggling and I turn around and say no, take that as notice of me saying no because even if I look like I'm struggling, it doesn't mean that I am just mean that my struggle is my normal so because if I'm coming through the door um, using a wheelchair it's going to look very different to somebody coming through a door that's not using a wheelchair so we've always got to be mindful mindful of that the only time that you don't take notice of a person saying no that they don't need help is that if they're in danger so they're at risk for themselves or they're at risk of somebody else or if I'm still outside that door, like 45 minutes later, possibly help me. Yeah. Because I'm like, I actually want to get through that door. <laughs> like, you know, like sort of thing. And I might be just really stubborn. And that's okay. But if it's 45 minutes later, please help me. <laughs> okay, so, noted. Yeah. <laughs> and I think what you just said about asking how is yeah. really powerful because, and, and I'm, I'm probably guilty of this as I would make an assumption of, what that help looks like, but it might be that you need me to hold your drink bottle or, you know, anything rather than actually getting through the door. You know, like I've got other friends that use wheelchairs and 
their way of getting help is different to mine. Yeah. So the way that they get help and makes them feel safe is very different to me. So if somebody helped me in the same way as helping one of my friends, I would feel like that I'm going to fall out of my wheelchair, etc. So about finding out what it is that person actually needs. And that's in terms of physical access. But it's really important to know that in terms of like, you know, like that communication access as well. You know, like people have different communication needs and they have different types of disability, but it doesn't mean that they're going to require the same thing. So we need to be really mindful of that. Yeah. And not make lump people in that same bit. Because if we think about things in a way that we remove all disability and we just think about like, you know, being at school, et cetera, everybody learns differently. Oh, absolutely. If the fact that if everybody learns differently, it's the same as disability. We're still learning differently. So there's no real difference in that. So you've yeah. got to be mindful that everybody actually does things differently. Well, and I think that's a really good skill communication-wise for everyone, regardless of, you know, yeah. your your environment or who you're with. Is, yeah. it's, it's taking communication to another level. Um and I'm definitely going to put that into practice with my children. Yeah. You know, what saying to my daughter, do you need help with your homework? Mm. And she says yes. And I sit down and start showing her. I need to actually say, okay, how, what kind of help do you need? Um, so that's, yeah, that's amazing. Thank you. So I've been stalking you. <laughs> I've been looking at your Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you, your Instagram is amazing, as is your website, which we were talking about, and your Facebook. Um, all of it is amazing. Um, and there seems to be alcohol, rock climbing, travel, um, educating, speaking, writing, red wine occasionally. It's just a just a common denominator. <laughs> <laughs> but what what really <laughs> she's laughing she's snorting um what really um struck me is just how full of busyness and full of crazy activities um and just yeah so much fun and full of life your instagram is so tell me about all the things that you that make up mel well i guess like other than prior alcohol to, <laughs> prior to covid like things were very different because I guess life could be a bit more adventurous. Yeah. So as everybody realizes, like COVID's been a little bit less. Yep. Um, but I I really enjoy the outdoor activities. So, you know, that's where I love to do the sailing. So I'll sail the tall ships from, you know, I've sailed from Hobart to Sydney. Wow. From, from France to Holland, um, you know, um, Liberty race like a regatta race across the world which was really exciting and I love kayaking so I, I was only kayaking last week so I've kayaked the last three weeks in a row like at Narrabeen so I love doing that and, and um, I think it's just like you know with the rock climbing I do that quite often as well but it's just a I've always had this whole perception that people see disability as being what you can't do and I and me being Harrison I've always been very stubborn <laughs> that, that that's what happens with our last name um and I've always wanted to like prove to people that I can do more than 
people think I can do. So, you know, that's where I've managed to travel the country. I went every like state and territory in Australia several times and I've gone to twenty four countries wow. in the world and like done the travel and you know, so um you know, like not just the travel overseas, because I think everyone does travel overseas, but I feel like quite privileged knowing that um like one of the few Australians that can actually say that going to every state and territory. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, like, well, you know, if they're in New South Wales, they've been to, you know, Melbourne, they've been to the Gold Coast, pretty much the extent. Um, But like Australia is like amazing. It is amazing. And that's one of the things like with this whole COVID, that as much as as a, you know, a downplay, because we're probably not going to be able to travel overseas safely for quite some time we've actually got a really beautiful country oh we've got an amazing amazing backyard country yeah and you know it's a good way for us to explore that and so much stuff that you know i love to do but and the things that i'm looking forward to this year is that i've recently found out that the mount kosciuszko trail has wheelchair access so myself and a mate um, we are actually planning on like doing that. We were going to do it in March, but we were going to have to be quite rushed. So now we're actually doing it in November, so we can do a couple other tr- at the same time. And and I've just yesterday booked um, to stay at the Dubbo Zoo, so I can do the Dubbo Stampede again. Cool. In August, so I did that two years ago, and that was the first time they had it, the wheelchair um, race available yeah. and. I came first in that way. Of course you did. <laughs> and I'm even more determined to do better this time. Um, better than first. Yeah. <laughs> Just faster. Maybe. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so we're actually staying there because we're going to stay in the cabins yeah. and stuff. So I booked that. So that's Excellent. Actually... So you have a personal trainer yes, that trains you. Yeah. How long have you been training with him? Uh, he's put up with me for almost seven years and I say put up with me because he would say that. <laughs> so in um, April, um, him and I have been training together. So the first three and a half years, I believe it was, I only saw him once a week because I was also seeing somebody else. But now I see him three times a week and he's just around the corner from my house and he's, he's pretty amazing. I actually don't like being nice about him (laughs) we won't send him the link he actually is quite amazing you know like particularly with last year because I had quite a a lot of health problems that happened and I had to have major surgery in the middle of the year and he was just a really good guy when I couldn't leave my house for about six weeks go anywhere and he still came in so once a week and like went for a walk with me in the park just to get me moving activated etc which was really really lovely but he's a really good guy and that's one of the things that I always sit there and say when it comes to fitness or when it comes to anything to do with like disability is that it's not so much about achieving like massive milestones because that's not always going to be possible but it's about just knowing who you can trust and who you like with and he's just somebody that you know like will know that you know I might for a year be like gun ho being able to do stuff and then I might be like a year where, you know, he's gotta be like quite nice with me. Yeah. And do what I need to Being do. able to adapt. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. really and important. It's all about being able to adapt. Yeah. And you know, and that's life. You know? Absolutely. And, 
a lot of people just don't get that sometimes and life is about being able to yeah. It's um, finding a good trainer is so important. Yeah. Um, I've, I've got an amazing trainer now who's, you know, I'll be like, oh, I didn't come in yesterday. I was really tired. And he was like, good, you slept. You needed to sleep, sleep. Yeah. Not, you know, kind of wrapping you over the knuckles for, for putting yourself yeah, and first. That, that's so important. Yeah. It's like there's been times where I'll, I'll like text my trainer and go, oh, I can't come in today. You know, I don't feel great. And you're like, text me back and go, are you dying? And I'll be like, no, I'm just going to you out. You know, and they'll be like, Okay. And it's actually like really like painful, but then when I get there, yeah. I feel better. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, I know I'm not going to be like strained, but it's kind of like nice to know that somebody knows mm. that, you know, knows my mental health as well as your mental health. You know, training at the end of the day really comes down to you. To your mental health. Yeah. Like, it's more than your physical health. And that's the part that people do. I know. Like, I know when I first started doing like the whole CrossFit kind of training like seven years ago everyone was like but why Mel you're like tiny like, you don't need to lose more weight and I'm like really that's all you think fitness is all yeah. about like about losing like weight people just don't and I'm like it's about making sure your your body is structured properly it's about making sure that you're fit it's about making sure your mental health is yeah okay. get those endorphins yeah. flying around yeah yeah because so then you good. can do all the things you love doing you're not going to be climbing Mount Kosciuszko without a lot of strength. Exactly. Mental and physical. Exactly. Yeah. And then people go, oh, you're so lucky you can do those things. And you're like, no. Yeah. I'm my <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> no, there's no luck. Yeah. <laughs> That's my favourite when people say you're lucky. Yeah. You're so lucky you get to do what you do. Yeah, okay. Oh, it's just yeah. like one day I open the door and it all happened. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now my brain's going 100 miles an hour. What advice would you give to someone who has, uh, I guess, gets a disability later, as a like in late teens or early 20s? Um, because that happens. A lot of people don't realize that that happens. But what would be, you know, your, your first piece of advice? I guess my first piece of advice is is that don't compare yourself to anybody else. Like that's really important to do that, but also to realise that the world actually doesn't cater for anybody. So I think we need to go, you know, we've got to try and work with what we've got and how we can accept that. So I think the thing that, like, over the years, like, I've had conversations many times where a couple of my friends will laugh because I remember when I was 19 years old and I was at Liverpool RSL and I don't if people don't know like Liverpool RSL back then was like downstairs was you know where you had the bar and you had like a band playing and then when you and then when it got to like 10 30 at night there would be a nightclub upstairs so that was where you know as weirdos that we were and sad people we were that's where we went you know, <laughs> 20 years ago anyway anyway so this is what happened and and I was downstairs in this particular time and I was with like I reckon about 12 13 friends and all of them were able-bodied um, friends and there was this a particular man that just kept like staring at me for like you know a good half an hour and then eventually he came over to me and he's like I just don't understand how you get up in the morning every day and, and you're happy. 
And I had been, like, literally sitting there drinking schooners of beer, smoking my cigarettes because that's what I used to do back in the day and all that. So I was kind of like, oh, you know, um, I don't want to, like, respond badly, but I also didn't want to be upset for the night. So I kind of just turned around to him and I said, you know, look, every day I get up in the morning, I sit up in my bed, I pull my my wheels, my, my um, legs out of my bed, I put my brakes on my wheelchair, I jump into my wheelchair, I turn my wheelchair around and I go to my mirror and I start flapping my arms in front of the mirror going, I love my life, I love my life, I love my life. <laughs> Literally, we chased him outside of the yard <laughs> and he didn't know what to do. And so, and it was just really, really interesting because it was just that whole thing of people going, some of their statements that they actually might say might be like offensive, but at the same time, like at the time, I was like, oh, this is actually kind of funny. But I could have had that complete different reaction as well because it could have actually really upset me, sort of thing, and it just didn't. And I kind of feel like I haven't actually answered your question. <laughs> <laughs> I just realised that's all right. What your question was. <laughs> My question was <laughs> advice. Oh, advice to someone. Okay, so my advice is don't chase people out of an hour because that's probably not the best thing to do. But the advice is is to go, well, you know, you really got two choices in life, try and, try and work with what you've got or don't. Yeah. And so my, my advice is, is that find people in your life that will be able to help you and most people have people in their life who can help them, um, you know, and particularly, um, you know, so you just got to allow people in your life. And, and that can be really, really, really hard to do. But that's my advice is to let people in your life as much as you, you know, because let people help you as much as they can. Yeah. Cool. Um, one of the things that I talk about is you know focusing on and this is in aged care primarily but it applies to everything is focusing on what you can do not what you can't do so I might have someone that says oh you know Joan can't come because she can't kick her legs I'm like well let's get Joan moving her arms um, is that kind of your approach to life? Yeah, absolutely absolutely it's always about what you can do yeah because you know what like so my biggest example of that is is that like people might look at me and go, oh, she's in a wheelchair, she can't do a lot, but then I'll be at the gym and I can pull out like 10 chin-ups in, next to a guy that has legs that can't do it. So it's always perspective. You've always got to remember it's always about being like in that perspective and not to make that assumption about people. We can all do things that somebody else can't do and that other person can do things that we can't do. And, you know, none of us can do everything in the same way. No. And, you know, the world would be completely boring. If oh, would. So, <laughs> wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Embrace. Yeah. Embrace difference because difference actually makes things interesting. Yeah. Yeah. If you could click your fingers and wake up luckily tomorrow <laughs> going, oh, look, lucky. How would the view be different around people with disabilities? 
You didn't have to do all this work to educate people. Look, I like the educating, so I'm not sure I'm going to change that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's being honest. Let's keep it how it is. However, <laughs> um, the thing that I really would change is the fact of accessibility. Um, so changing the way access is across the world, and that's in terms of physical access, it's in terms in terms of attitudinal access, it's in terms of information, procedural, it's communication access. Um, that I would change because if that was all changed, everything would be accessible for everybody yep. and everyone would access things in the same way. And I guess the biggest thing that I would change um, for me is the um, attitudinal access or internal barriers that are out there for people with disability or people that, um, you know, aged care, elderly, etc. because, you know, that's actually the biggest barrier that's out there. You know, it's the biggest barrier, it's the cheapest barrier to remove, but mm. it's the hardest barrier to remove. And it's something that I'm constantly faced with every day of my life where people treat me differently. And, you know, I could be out with my friends, uh, away from boards, out somewhere and... You know, we're ordering something and they will get asked what I want, um, etc. Or they will take my money and give them the money, etc. And it's kind of like, well, you know, I can actually speak. So that part of it, it doesn't bother me so much, but it makes me upset for people that are out there if they haven't got the ability to communicate in the same mm. way as me. Because I'm like, well, you know, if they're treating me like that, what would they be yeah. like for somebody that actually can't? communicate that how do you respond when that happens i normally tell them that i can speak or my mates actually walk off and make them speak to me that's why surrounded with good mates it's a bit of a (laughs) like that but i think though like you know when i first ended up in a chair i think i was probably a bit more aggressive or angry about it was like that was the time now i don't respond like that because i actually don't see like a point in that because, as I said earlier, most people aren't actually, you know, doing it in with wrong intentions. No. They just don't know how to communicate. Yeah. And I always feel like that if you're actually communicating with people in a way that they learn from it but you also bring humour into it, they'll actually listen to it. Where if you're telling somebody off, people don't listen because they become defensive. And that's the part that I think is really important to 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 remember and that's why I bring humor into it a lot because I just think well if they you know that's what they're going to remember more than me telling them yeah and like you said you're not going to educate if you already have people offside yeah because you're aggressive because they're going to respond defensively absolutely and then the then the walls go up on their side Mm. yeah we were talking earlier about studying um, and work and how crazy busy you are and how you're <laughs> I would say about if you want something done, give it to a busy person. Um, tell me a little about your your day job and your studies and, and what the, the goal is with those. Yeah, so I do work full-time for a disability organisation um, and that's very much around training and, like, media and comms, etc. And then with this job, I am doing a lot of, like, training, but I also do, like, MC work with, like, um, disability expos, etc. and also doing, like, fitness um, keynote speeches, um, New South Wales, which is really, really interesting. 
I'm finishing up my my degree in social science and I'm also doing a diploma in access consulting because I, you know, and the reason I want to do the diploma in access consulting, I guess, is because, um, you know, I've travelled so much so I can see the issues that are out there and yeah. to access. So I've got a really strong passion um, around that. So I think that... Um, if I've got the qualification and I've got the personal experience to be. Um, yeah, so it's really good for, um, you know, like just, you know, just changing the way things are because people don't always no. realise it. Yeah. You know, like things like with access consulting, like the amount of times I've gone to travel around Australia and I've stayed at hotels, etc. and that may be accessible, but then when I go to, like, the kitchen, I can't reach the kettle. I can't reach the coffee mugs. I can't okay. reach the wine glasses, etc. So I've got to call reception and go, hi, can you actually bring, you know, come in to bring the wine glasses down? And they kind of look at me like, but why? And I'm like, well, because you're driving me to drink. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> so is it that they're thinking about, the things that they're seeing from their perspective rather than... Well, it's like what my dad always says. Most people still are in that that era of thinking if you have a disability, you'll always have somebody with you. Yeah, okay. So he's always like, you're probably one of the few people that are there in a wheelchair that are constantly travelling yeah. and you don't have somebody with you. So he's like... You know, they're still thinking you're going to have, like, a carer with you or you're going to have a partner with you or you're going to have a family member with etc. So they're a bit surprised when somebody turns up by themselves. But I guess that's where my education comes in is that I actually want it to get to a point where people go, it shouldn't be an actual surprise. It should no. just be that's okay, normal, etc. Because, you know, like, if it's an accessible place... It should be accessible. 100%. Especially the wine glasses. Oh, gotcha. Glad we pointed that one out again. There's a theme here. Exactly. Please don't send me to AA. Please don't send me anywhere where I can't reach the wine glasses. (laughs) (laughs) That should be on your your checklist. Uh, (laughs) So out of interest, because I don't know, when places say say it's a hotel or it's accommodation, when they um, promote themselves as being accessible, mm-hmm. is there some kind of process that they have to go through to do that, or can they just declare that they're accessible? It should be a process. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean it happens. I think it's a matter of that. The issue is more around the fact that if they haven't been audited, like access audited, yeah, there's that's that's right. the issue, uh, and people are, might be advertising themselves as being accessible. And again, it comes from you know being good intention. It's not from yeah, they're not intention they're not doing it intentionally. Things. Yeah, but I think until somebody either a uses a mobility device or has been with someone yeah. that uses a mobility device, it's not necessarily understood what access means because just because you can get through a door doesn't mean it's accessible. So it's that whole thing. So I remember a couple of years ago, 
when I was staying in Mount Isa and I was at work and I was like booking accommodation for myself and a colleague and for four nights and rung this particular hotel and asked about wheelchair accessible like rooms, etc. And the lady on the phone said to me, oh, well, I'm not really sure whether we've got wheelchair accessible rooms, so I might have to get back to you. And so, so I got off the phone and I yelled out to everybody in my office and said, well, if she rings back, we're not staying there anyway, because if she doesn't know, then obviously there's not. She did call back and she called back and said, you're going to be able to get into the room, but you won't be able to get into the bathroom. Is that okay? And I was like, so what do you want me to do for four days? Like, you know, like, do you want me to go to the shower and go to the toilet in my chair? And she's like, oh, I didn't think about that. Wow. But it was a real interesting, and she wasn't being rude. No, she just hadn't thought about it. In any way, shape or form. But she actually just didn't think about that. But, you know, oh, somebody in a wheelchair actually does do things the same way as somebody that's not in a wheelchair. It's just in a different way. Yeah. But, yeah, so that was really quite So it's it's education for sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, do How do we do that? Is it because the people that know already are the people that are the ones trying to implement change? Yeah. How do we educate? Well, I guess the problem is as well is that, I think the the part that's the issue is that it's always the people that have disability who join the educating, and then all, then the onus is, is on them to do it. Yeah. So the barrier is always on that yeah. on on people, and that becomes quite tiring for a lot of people. Yeah, it so would. I think that's that's an issue. I think it's about you know like when I think about just in the last you know twenty five years of having a disability things have actually changed. So we are we are improving. And how we do it is the way that I think that we do it is that whole pay it forward yeah. like movement. So I think it's really important that everybody goes, you know, if they meet somebody and they, you know, realise that things are in a particular way, that people with disability um, are able to do things as long as they've got access, as long as they've got, like, you know, uh, communication, etc., and they've got procedures like put into place, people educate somebody else and that yeah. forward and then eventually it just continues because yeah. as we've mentioned, like with adults it's hard to change perceptions. Yeah. But, you know, like if we just educate one person at a time, things will change and it's that systemic approach. Yeah. And I think know? definitely going into schools and childcare facilities, yeah. you know, there maybe there needs to be some kind of programmer that is a standard thing that happens um so we're not we're not relying on people that haven't been educated to educate their kids about Mm. something that they actually don't know anything about yeah which is pretty much what's happening now right absolutely yeah absolutely yeah interesting so we're going to start wrapping up is there anything that i haven't asked you that i should ask you anything that you feel like you'd like to say any topic we haven't discussed? We've got our trailer already. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I don't think so. I think, you know, I think there would be like a blooper 
out there for me earlier. We've got to bloop this real. Just to, I guess to add to that, I think it's just really important to be mindful that not making an assumption just because someone has a disability that they don't have any um, sexual needs or desires in the same way as somebody that doesn't um, have a disability and it's actually inappropriate to think um, that way. You know, um, just as somebody that won't have a disability, like, you know, they might actually want something that's the same way with disability actually got no different. And I think that's the part that's really important to remember. Do you think that's talked about enough? No. No, I think a lot of people still think that people with disability are either asexual or they're oversexed. And, you know, statistics show that that's complete bullshit. Um, and I think it's just really important to to acknowledge that, you know, and also to remember as well that just because somebody has a disability and if they're going to get into a relationship or they have a relationship doesn't mean that their relationship is with someone else. Yeah. That's, um, that's really powerful as well. Um, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I really appreciate it. It's been fun. Been lots of giggling, lots of snorting. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. Thank you very much. And I will see you at the next expo or dancing or shaking somewhere. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, www.thedaisychain.com. You can also visit our Facebook or Instagram page. My name's Emma. I'm from The Daisy Chain. And thank you so much for listening to The Daisy Chain podcast.